the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. You can hear the program each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and WFIL.com. AM 560 WFIL.com and on the app. You're listening to the Tim DeMoss Show. It's our famous Friday broadcast. Welcome aboard. Excited to have you here today. Victoria, how you doing? Good? Well, I got my mic adjusted. Forgot yeah. to do that. You must doing be... well. <laughs> You're just going to project from wherever you are in the room. <laughs> Happy Friday. Yeah, you too. Uh, we have uh, another hot day, of course. 92 the high, uh, 90 tomorrow, and 92 on Sunday. The whole sunny, cloudy back and forth. Oh, there's a big, powerful thunder shower, storm, uh, whatever, coming. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> that's uh, that's in the mix. That basically sums up the weekend. Kind of humid. I love rain, so I'm all, I'm all for a nice gusty thunder shower every now and again. Cool things down. You got to be careful because if you get lulled into a false sense of security, like uh, you leave your windows down or something, all of a sudden everything's soggy inside. So keep an eye out for that over the course of the weekend. The Phillies are uh, playing game two of their series against Washington tonight at the ballpark. It's a special night uh, because Dan Baker, who has been the broadcasting for 50 years, you know the stadium voice. He did uh, all five World Series that the Phillies have been in, like uh, 1980 on up right through the 2009 series, and they lost to the Yankees and the three in between. And uh, he's also done Big Five basketball, and he's done uh, uh, the Eagles. Actually, he was the Eagles stadium announcer for many, many years. That's all happening tonight. As far as honoring him, the Phillies did not release who is going to be there to honor Dan Baker because. They want it to be a surprise, total surprise for Dan Baker. He can probably guess who might be there. He's announced so many different names over the years. And so that'll be a special thing if you want to get to that. If you're going to the ballpark tonight, that starts at 625. Speaking of special guests, Victoria and announcers, of course, Vin Scully, the voice of the Dodgers, passed earlier this week. Yes, yes. 70-something years, the longest tenured broadcast with any sports club in America, any any team, any sport. And uh, Paul Bird, who used to play for the Phillies and the Braves, who played this week uh, earlier, uh, is going to be joining us. He's a broadcaster himself now, and he joined the connection. What's Dan Baker? There's all these. Oh, oh, that's right. (laughs) There's that too. Well, there's so much to jam in here. We'll get. Well, yeah, we'll we'll circle back to that. But just so folks know, Paul Bird will be joining us here in a few minutes. Paul used to pitch for the Phils, and uh, he's a broadcaster. He's a solid man of God, and he's always a great, thoughtful person to talk with. So we're looking forward to him. And we have another special guest we're going to get to, I'll mention in a second. But before we do forget, yes, Victoria, slow me down if you need to, because you have a Dan Baker connection. We do. Just a fun fact about Dan Baker, and I didn't even know this until he came to my career day. I have been since graduated from high school 10 whole years. I believe it was my senior year, possibly a junior. But Dan Baker came to my high school, Audubon High High School in Audubon, New Jersey, and Dan Baker was the class of 1964 wow. at my 
by high oh. school, and he showed us his ring, his World Series ring. Very, so that was very cool. Just a short tidbit. Dan Baker went to my high school. <laughs> it, was a, it was a career day? Yes. Okay. Or, or what, what's it called? Where they have people that are well-known, I guess. It doesn't always have to be someone like Dan Baker, but yeah. they have people come in and talk about their careers, and he just happened to come in. It was like a little presentation, and he's like, I'm the voice of the Phillies, and no one really knew who he was when he first came in the classroom, and then he did, do you recognize the voice? And he just did it. We're like, that's the guy yeah. at the Eagles and Phillies game. So no. it's cool. Betting cool. for the Phillies. That's yeah, what he did. That yeah. whole thing. That's great. Cool. Well, so that's the cool story, the connection there. Uh, also, it's pretty cool this hour. We're looking forward to having uh, Sonia Manzano join the show. And I'm not going to tell you who Sonia Manzano is yet. I'm going to, I'm going to, you can Google it real quick. I will tell you in a minute. But before that, just to finish up our little sports thing, last night, the Phillies uh, won, won three to one um, over the uh, Nationals. Or five four. Five, I'm sorry, four. three one was two days ago. Five four <laughs> with the Nationals. Noah Syndergaard, one of their new players, they just got uh, pitched. Although he didn't have a great uh, game, he five innings gave up eleven hits, but got the win. And uh, Phillies manager Rob Thompson talked about that. You know, he worked out of a lot of trouble early in the game. I think a little bit of rust, nine days off. You know, there was some some hard hits. One the one ball off the off the fence. <laughs> The wind was blowing out that way. I don't know how hard it was. But, uh, you know, he looked a little rusty, and but he, he battled through it, got through five. That was going to be his last inning. But uh, big home run by Hoskins, big three-run homer by Bohm, great throw by Castellanos, four-and-a-half inning win. Yeah, it was rain, uh, rain-shortened game, but it was long enough to be official. As uh, Rob Thompson mentioned, Reese Hoskins, homer number 21, Alec Bohm with three-run homer, and they play again tonight at 7.05. Uh, and he mentioned Noah Syndergaard, who I still, even though he's not the, the stud he was with his super fast pitch, and he's still a smart pitcher, a nickname, you got to love the nickname of Thor. He talked about what it's like to now be a Philadelphia Philly after being with the New York Mets for many years. Pretty crazy. It was kind of tough to believe at first, just because, you know, being with the Mets for the longest time, I never really pictured myself in a, in a Phillies uniform, but uh, couldn't be more proud to support the baby blue tonight, or powder blue. Um, I look forward to wearing the pinstripes and another start but uh you know extremely thrilled and, and blessed to, to be in this clubhouse being you know to, to play for a really good team and a contender that's has high expectations to to make it all the way to the top um and just uh you know i, I really just appreciated the, all the, the warm welcomes from everybody everybody's like the, the personalities um seem amazing in this clubhouse and i just want to do my part and compete and help this team get to the ultimate goal that's new philly noah Cindergard, and, and if you're keeping score at home because there was a lot of movement this week with the players Cindergard came over in a trade earlier in the week i guess it was tuesday uh, center fielder brandon marsh came over and gene segura who played shortstop and other positions came off the disabled list he's been away off a couple of months so it's like a new player almost and uh, Kyle Gibson had also been on the bereavement list, and he's out, and he's uh, or back in now, and he's, I think, pitching tonight. Yeah. So there's all that. But then there's one more. Uh, if you're looking for D.D. Gregorius, you're not going to find them because he actually got released. I know. So poor D.D. So uh, yeah. All these names, D.D., Thor, whatever. I know. And Mickey. Your favorite Mickey who got traded to the Angels. Yeah. Do you see Mickey Moniak hit a home run? I'm telling you, once they leave Philly, they become superstars. I, I don't know how I feel about this trade, Tim. We talked about it yesterday, but I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. All right. So there's that. So Paul Bird will join us in a few minutes. And then I mentioned Sonia Manzano uh, joining us. She's actually uh, better known as Maria from Sesame Street. The Maria on Sesame Street for over four decades. She has a book out. 
And uh, I, I loved watching you know, all Sesame Street in general as a kid, Snuffleupagus and Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch, Bert and Ernie, Mr. Hooper and Luis and Count, the Counts and all the rest of them. Uh, and so Maria, who is an anchor on that program for many, many decades, is going to be joining us as well. So we have a fun program lined up. And last but not least, as if that wasn't enough, we're going to cap things off with now that's punny. Whew. I need to take a nap. Oh, one more thing, because we do this every now and again. If you'd like a gift card, Duncan Panera Rita's Wawa Chick-fil-A, $5.60, courtesy of Brian or Chevrolet. Text our text line, you get one. One per household, and you can't have one in the past month. Otherwise, you're good to go. It's not a drawing. It's a guaranteed win. But you got to put your address and zip in there so we can turn it around. Why don't you text and say, I'd love a gift card. Okay, what's your name? Frank. Okay, Frank, where do you live? Audubon, New Jersey. Okay, Frank, how about your zip? How about where you, can you help me out here? That happens, right, Victoria? Yes, People and are, your particular gift card of choice. There's that. Today it's an all-skate, so you can pick any of the five. Dunkin', Panera, Chick-fil-A, Rita's, Wawa. $5.60, enough to get a couple of waffle fries or a couple donuts and coffee. You choose how you want to spend it, but to spread that around. One per household, and uh, text in at 610-500-DOVE for that. 610 500 36 83. One last thing. No, we're not going to send one to your aunt in Texas. People text in for other people. This is really designed for those who are actually listening to the station. So just a little thank you for doing so. Quick break. Back with Paul Bird next in WFIL. You're listening to a podcast of the Tim DeMoss Show. Heard weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. It's 413 on the Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL, and we're really glad to bring on board a longtime friend of mine and also this radio station who's joined us many times before, Paul Bird. Hey, Paul. How you doing, buddy? Yeah, what's going on, my friend? Great to hear your voice. It's been a little while. You too. I agree. Too long. Every time the Phillies and Braves play, I think of you, and other times too, but of course you had a history playing for a number of major league teams, pitched for the Phillies and the Braves, won 109 games, I think it was, over your career, which is pretty cool, including, I think, uh, three in the playoffs. The only guy I know who uh, beat both the Yankees and the Red Sox in the same postseason, ho, ho, ho. So that's pretty good, too. Kind of a trivia question. Yeah. (laughs) That's that's right. And then been broadcasting since the time you were an all-star with the Phillies in 99, uh, I think it was 50, won 15 games that year. And, uh, you know, so you had a lot of really wonderful career, many bumps and bruises too. And even uh, just all, I remember you've shared before about all the stops you guys made, including your wife, Kim, and all the moves you made. Was it 50 moves or something crazy? Really? Yeah, it was always like 56 times and, you know, over my career. So, crazy. you know, when you go to spring training and then you go to a team and you have kids, you got to take everybody. So <laughs> you yeah. just got to get efficient at moving and say, Hey, I'm getting to play a kid's game for a living and enjoy it. But yeah, it's, uh, it's tough and pulling the kids in and out of school. We always tried to stay together. So I think that was good and bad. But, um, when the smoke cleared, you know, um, she still likes me. She says, so I'll take that, you know? That's excellent. That's excellent. And, uh, of course, you've done broadcasting for how many years has it been now? It's been a while. It's been 10. Yeah, I'm blown away. It's been 10. So that guy that wrote Ecclesiastes, man, he he was on to something. Time goes by, and uh, I can't believe I've been broadcasting for 10 years. Now, almost 
more known for that than I am for pitching, which is crazy. That's something. Well, you so in the most current gig because you've done a lot of different gigs too. I don't know for Fox Sports South and other things too. But right now, it's is it one hundred percent Braves? Is it was it Bally Sports? I forget the name of the company. Yeah, Bally. Uh, we got bought out, changed the name, so it's Bally now, and I cover the Braves, and nobody understands how I can like the Phillies and the Braves. <laughs> and I got my start with the Mets, so you know, I'm not opposed to the Mets either. They gave me their they gave me my chance and the Phillies, Terry Francona put me in the starting rotation behind Schilling. Yes. So I got my chance with the Phillies to start and the Braves brought me back a couple times and we live close by. So, you know, I'm a big fan of the NL East. Let's just put it that way. That's great. Well, so I have two things I want to run by. Each might take a little time, but they're both baseball related, but the, our faith certainly plays into these as well, uh, especially the second one. Yeah. Um, so the first one has to just the, the Phillies and Braves just played. Of course, they lost the first game 13 to 1, then the Phillies win the second game 3 to 1, which kind of drives home the point that you have to, you know, all the games, like last night, Noah Syndergaard doesn't pitch a very good game, but they won. And that's really in the end what you're yeah. after. As a ball player, you know that firsthand. Absolutely. It doesn't matter how you do it. You just got to win at this point. And if you're in a position where you're worried about your own stats and what your stat line looks like and how many innings you personally win, then guys are going to pick up on that in the locker room. And that does not make for a good team. It doesn't make for a playoff team. doesn't make for a good mojo down the stretch. And you are worried about your own individual stats and performances. You want to do well because when you do well, the team does well. But they pick up on that energy. They know the selfish players. And when you get a bunch of guys together who just want to win, they don't care how you do it, you just want to win, then that's what makes that team that charges at the end, that's going to do something in the playoffs, that's going to move the guy over, do all the little things right, cheer for each other, help each other out, not be selfish. When you get that going, that's when you have a chance to win. The key play in that second game when they played the Braves was when JT Real Muto hit a ground ball to Austin Riley at third base. Should have been an easy double play. Hit it well. Riley filled it clean through to the second baseman. RCO, who's got a cannon, throws the first. Real Muto beat it down the line. Did replay. That's the inning where they scored three runs. If he doesn't bust it out of the box and he pouts, then Phillies don't win that game, in my opinion. So yeah, that was the question. A couple after that, yeah, well, that was the question I literally was going to ask you about specifically of the of the two games, uh, and because I can tell you firsthand as an average ball player, I played through high school and then played church softball after that. But you, know, you get some competitive guys out there, you know, whatever. Getting yeah, yeah. But still, still, it's like you know, I'm still an average player, but I would usually score in the top third of runs scored because I'm always thinking about how to take an extra base or even. You know, just taking advantage here or there because I had to. I didn't couldn't rely on pure talent or yeah. something. Um, that J, that play, JT Romuto hits the ground ball I, and, and beats it out just barely, keeps the inning alive, and then then the Phillies do go on to score and they wind up winning the game instead of like you said they could have that would have been the, the innings over. Braves are still ahead one nothing, and then maybe the Phillies lose. Um, I'm surprised, and maybe you could just speak to this because you obviously played it and broadcast. How many players either look? For even a split second after they hit the ball, where it's going, uh, and do they need to do that? Maybe they do. Or, or don't go 100% every step of the way because that's a controllable thing. 
You know, you might as well air yeah. it out. You've got, you're running for three and a half seconds. Just do that. Don't make it 3.6 or 3.7 seconds or four seconds because put pressure on the fielder, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, Real Muto is a catcher, as you all know. So he's had gear on the whole game. That happened in the seventh. So he can easily give three-quarters effort, and you're like, hey, I don't know if he's running hard or not because he's exhausted. He's had gear on the whole game. It's day game after night game, early game. Like, he shouldn't even be in there. Most catchers wouldn't even be in there. So that's the little things that makes for championship teams. So when he hit that ground ball, yeah, he's going to look. He's going to look. Every player looks and sees for that split second. It doesn't slow them down. And then you don't look at the bag. You look straight ahead above the bag, and you pump the arms, lift the knees. As you know, you're not going to look the whole way down the line. But for that split second, you do look. And, um, you know, he's not going for a base hit. He's just trying to keep his team out of the double play. So base running is probably one of the most underrated things of the game. There's a lot of things that have changed in the game. I don't want to put the game down because I love baseball. We all have to adapt. But the pendulum has swung to how hard can I throw up in the zone? How hard can I throw in general? How far can I hit it? How many home runs can I hit? And, you know, it's lost a little bit of that savvy, in my opinion, that I think we're getting back of move the guy over. Cut down on your swing. Don't be concerned about the home run just for you. we got to get this guy in from third base, and there's only one out. So don't swing as hard as you possibly can at every single pitch. Yeah. Get the ball in the air and score the runner. Let's do what's best for the team and win the game. That's interesting. Those folks tuning in, Paul Bird's our guest today on the Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL in Philadelphia. Tim, do you like it when you ask me one question and I give you four answers? <laughs> I love it. I actually do. Yeah. It saves me some trouble. Actually, I get four more things to ask you about. it While you were talking, three more things come to mind. But I, I want to keep it on what you were saying. Actually, I, I could think of a number of things. My son and I, Toby, uh, Toby and I were opening baseball cards the other night, a pack at a time. We just opened one pack, and we would talk through the players and look for interesting things on the back of the card. And there was one player, uh, I can't remember his name, but he was a catcher. Specifically, and he led the league in sacrifice uh, sacrifices uh, or sacrifice hits. I think it was, even though he played like uh, a quarter of the games. Like by far, it's interesting yeah. that you could lead the league in something when you're only playing uh, a quarter of a season. Uh, so anyhow, or to your point, complete games. Somebody else we saw there was one of the pitchers who led the American League in complete games with one. A, a few years ago. Yeah, that's insane. <laughs> the game really has that's changed. Uh, then we looked up people like you know, Bob. That's another thing, you know, um, the pitchers, you know, just you talk about starters, you know, they're not throwing a whole lot anymore. I mean, and that's that's another thing that's changed. You look at Wheeler, who I thought should have won the Cy Young last year, yeah. and they gave it to Burns, and went through 160 innings. That's like the least that any pitcher who has won the starting who is a starter who's won the Cy Young has ever thrown hmm. but that was acceptable now so now it's like okay bullpen's more important when you try to throw as hard as you can every single pitch and I'm not the old guy that's like get off my lawn <laughs> I want to see a high velocity score yeah but when you do that and you throw every pitch as hard as you can and you're focused on that you're not going to throw eight or nine every night throw you know, 120 pitches, you're going to be gassed after 80, 90. 
Sure. You know, and sure. so the whole game's kind of changed a little bit like that. So Wheeler, who throws 100 miles an hour and <laughs> pitched a ton of innings, that, that was a big deal. That yeah. meant a lot. So, you know, maybe he'll be recognized a little more at some point in the future. What a great pitcher and joy it was to watch him pitch. Well, when Toby and I looked in the back of the baseball card and saw that you know a pitcher could be tied for the league league with one complete game for an entire season, I said, Toby, I don't know off the top of my head, but I remember back in the day, guys like Bob Gibson and Sandy Koufax, some of these pitchers would have double-digit shutouts, not just complete games. Yes. You're right? So that led yes. us to go back in time, and that dovetails nicely into the other thing I really want to chat with you about, too, because of your broadcasting experience, too, and uh, Vin Scully, of course, passing away. Uh, and yes. 70 plus years. I mean, it's amazing all the things if you look at his resume and what he's done, but also the person he was. Uh, any just general thoughts on Vin Scully? Did you have a chance to cross paths some during your broadcasting and all that with him? Yes, I met him. God, what a joy he was. Just as a human being, not just a broadcaster, incredible person. And uh, he brought a lot of joy into the booth and into what he did. Um, you know, the verse that talks about do everything without grumbling and complaining and you'll shine like stars in a crooked and depraved generation. Yes. He never complained. And this is a grind, you know, baseball's day after day after day. And if you don't pay attention, you can get caught in the, you know, Oh, gotta go to work. You know, cause it's a long day. It starts early. It's weird hours. And, you know, by the end of the year, you can be caught in the complaining bug. Ben never did that. Loved what he did. Um, he was so well studied and I'm not talking about in his younger years. I'm talking about in his later years when he could have coasted, he was all out reading, doing his research. So he's in his late sixties and I come into pitch and, you know, I'm Ben Scully is pitching, trying to get the Dodgers out. Yeah. Ben Scully is talking about me and he told the story of me playing catch with my dad Larry Bird, that's my dad's name, yeah. the real Larry, the legend. Yeah, that's right. You know, is yeah. squatting down, <laughs> catching me in a field across the street in Louisville, Kentucky, by the railroad tracks. That's how I learned to pitch. And Vin Scully is telling the fans that when I'm pitching against the Dodgers no way. in that incredible, magnificent, bellowing voice. And I don't even know how he got that. Really? But he was spot on. And I thought, man... Who did I tell that to in passing at some point? But he did his research, and that's what he chose to pull out over national championship at LSU or, you know, visited the White House and met Joe DiMaggio and Ted Williams. And, you know, all these great things he could have chose from. He picked my dad across the street by railroad tracks in Louisville, Kentucky, in a field that nobody will ever know about. That's a fantastic that's story. Kind of that's the kind of person Vin Scully is. Wow. Uh, if you just tuning in, Paul Bird hanging out with us a little bit today in the Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL in Philadelphia. Uh, Paul pitched for the Phillies and a number of other major league clubs, including the Braves. Phillies and Braves played earlier this week, so we spent a little time talking about that a few moments ago. By the way, if you ever tune in on a given show, we post a podcast later, so you can always go online and check it out there. Um, I'm thinking there were several scriptures that also came to mind with regard to, to Vince and I, uh, Vin, and I, I don't know, uh, you know, where he was in terms of his walk with God or not. I believe he, he was a ca- uh, Catholic. Uh, I don't know if you think he went to mass every Sunday. Um, not my place anyway, but Proverbs twenty two eleven 
and Proverbs twenty two twenty nine say th- things that come to mind when I think of Vin Scully's work. Uh, number one, Proverbs twenty two eleven: One who loves a pure heart and who speaks with grace will have the king for a friend. That second part, especially, speaks with grace. That, that graciousness, uh, I've heard that adjective used a lot this past week. So, oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, Vin for the Catholic Mass, and you know, I've got a lot of buddies. Um, that, you know, Mike Sweeney has started Catholics for Christ, awesome movement. And you know, I'm I'm not a whole lot. I'm not much on denominations as it is. I'm just like, are you a Christian or you're not? You know, you love Jesus or you're not. Yeah. But I um. You know, not to get into great theological discussions, but this is really cool. Brian Snicker said he would go to Mass, and Ben Scully would read the Scriptures. And he said, <laughs> like, I would just sit back and shut my eyes, and it was like the voice of God was speaking and reading the Scriptures to me. <laughs> like, that's hilarious. Yeah, I guess if you wanted someone to read Scripture, Ben Scully would be at the top of the list. I was like, God, ah, Ben, why didn't you do the complete Bible on, you know, Oh, that's I would really say cassette or CD, but we don't use those anymore. Yeah, uh, <laughs> a complete Bible, uh, you know, on a hard drive or whatever that we can download and listen to Ben Scully read the scriptures. Wouldn't that be incredible? That, for so. sure. Well, and the one way that that graciousness, I think, comes out, you know, obviously the way you speak to someone, but also the way you don't speak to someone. And I'm referring to a couple of his most famous calls, or what you call non-calls, like when Hank Aaron. Hits uh, home run number seven one five to pass Babe Ruth in the all time list. After the, the yeah. ball's hit, and he calls the call. He's quiet for a minute and a half or more, and lets and, yeah. and steps out of the out of it. Doesn't keep inserting himself and lets the lets the sound tell the story. And he did that with a number of other calls over the years. That's a graciousness thing too, not to put himself up, right? So, no, absolutely. And he always mentioned the fans. You know, he mentioned the fans, and he you could tell. He didn't just care about this or that or himself or just the players. Like he created a very descriptive atmosphere for the fans and, um, you know, did it in such, as you said, a gracious way. He let the great moments, as you just said, be about the great moments and people taking that in. And um, I can just say this as a broadcaster, that's not that easy to do. You know, you get excited. You want to jump in and say something. So just to sit back and let the moment speak is awesome. After he said she is gone yeah. for the great Kirk Gibson home run, nineteen eighty-eight, he yeah. let it breathe for yeah, he let it breathe for sixty-eight seconds before he started with in the year of the improbable, the impossible has happened. After Gibson rounded the bases, hitting the home run off Eckersley, one of the greatest moments in all of sports. Period. What if he'd ruined that moment? Yeah. And he didn't. And so we as broadcasters were taught to study that moment to learn that know when to shut up. Interesting. I was having this conversation with Victoria, uh, you know, my producer the other day, I guess the day before, uh, the notion of uh, kind of related to that when you're having somebody on the show, you don't have to fill every single second that pausing for a second, two seconds, almost actually yeah. draws a person into the radio for a second. You know what I mean? So it's, oh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you don't have to be like, because some no, people will talk right. out loud, right? They'll be like, um, yeah, uh-huh. Some people feel like they have to fill everything. And even just with like ums and uhs or uh, 
you know, and they don't know how to yeah. keep it quiet in between. So, yeah. Yeah. And the things that he noticed were incredible. You know, Aaron, after that home run crossed home plate, talked about his mom and dad, give him a hug, talked about a black man getting a standing ovation in the South. Yeah. Things that were, um, it's the right word, uncommon to bring out. You know, most people talk just about the sports. He talked about politics, life, life lessons, this and that. Not a lot, but when he mixed them in, it was always so graceful. You know, um, it's crazy. People feel differently. Some people may be socialist. He wasn't. So he talked about that, where he mixed in about what socialism does to a right. person. Right. And you're like, oh, okay. You know, we're not supposed to talk about any politics. People watch sports to get away from that. Yeah. So, but he can say whatever he wants and did it so gracefully. It like wasn't really offensive. And you're like, hmm. You know, there's a thought. That's so it. it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's like he covered some stuff that were no nos that were just awesome. So the other verse, Paul, was um, uh, 20, verse 29 in Proverbs 22 says, Do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings, they will not serve before officials of low rank. So it's just another, not that he was doing it for that, but that graciousness, I think, yeah. leads to. Some other things, including serving and putting in the, in the yeah. work. You mentioned putting in the work. It's a super important thing. You, know, you can't just be a nice guy and show up and, oh, I'm here. So uh, Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. And he once raced Jackie Robinson on ice skates and beat him. And Jackie had never been on ice skates before. Well, but, then, like, what kind of broadcaster goes and meets, you know, Jackie Robinson? Let's, let's you know, let me race you. Let's make it even. Let's be on skates. You know, like yeah. just doing stuff like that. That's just so cool. So he wow. is somebody that I think we all looked up to and, um, you know, hopefully in some small way, uh, you know, we can leave a mark like then. You know, the last thing, Paul, I would just run by is one of the things I read about him was his appreciation of the development of the transistor radio. Uh, because okay. of what, what, what that allowed fans to do, because when fans would be in the ballpark, they'd take their radios in because they couldn't quite see everything. You know, they don't have these huge jumbo charts yeah. like they did back then. So they could. He was telling them and educating, especially when the team moved from Brooklyn to Los Angeles. He was educating the fans about who this baseball team is, and he he said apparently he said himself that that was one of the biggest things that really helped him in his career um, because that and allowed that conduit nature of describing the game to everyday people, the fans, what's going on. And I think of like Harry Callis, longtime Phillies broadcaster, falling asleep to listen, you know, driving home with my parents from somewhere and falling asleep, listening to the Phillies game as a young kid, that kind of importance of a, of a broadcaster. I'm sure you have a sense of that uh, as well. With your There's work. a top five kind of, you know, voice in the game. Ben Scully obviously is in that category. Harry is as well. You know, there's people that when you just hear their voice, and I'm a big Harry Callis fan who, you know, became a believer late in his career, um, that just when you hear them, all of a sudden you're 10 years old. And it doesn't <laughs> matter where or when, but, you know, you hear them and you get that warm feeling in your gut and a smile on your face. And, you're sitting there on the couch watching a game with your dad or like you said in the car and it's just unmistakable. And, you know, Harry, even when he talked about the frozen tundra of Lambeau field, you know, you just Harry Callis, you know, he even transitioned, you know, where you're like, I felt like I was watching an NFL, you know, highlight or whatever. Yes. 
Um, so it's just so cool. You know, few people have those kind of voices that just are magical. Paul, uh, how can folks follow you on Twitter and that sort of thing? Keep up with the work you're doing and your music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm at PaulBird36, but you're going to be disappointed. I try to kind of stick to the Braves because um, that's my job, you know. Sure. So that's all right. Yeah, so I try to get a lot of stuff. and I try to just get something that, you know, somebody can't get from the Internet. So I love photography. I love video. So I'll, I'll get some handshakes, some high fives, some kind of cool moments that people can't always see on TV or, like I said, get from the computer. So that's kind of what I do on Twitter. And I just uh, appreciate you guys remembering me in Philly. It's a special place in my heart. I love going back and, you know, am always pulling for the Phillies and Braves. Yeah. Paul, thanks for taking time on a Friday afternoon to hang out with us today. It's really a privilege just to hear your voice again, my friend. We look forward you to You got it, Timmy. Thanks, man. Stay well, everybody in Philly. We'll All see right. you. Take care. Bye-bye. It's Paul Bird, uh, former Philly, played for the Braves, a number of other teams. Paul B-Y-R-D, won over 100 games as a major leaguer. Was an all-star with the Phillies in 99, won 15 games that year. Pitched in the playoffs a number of times. Actually beat the Red Sox and Yankees in the same postseason in 07. Current broadcaster for Bally Sports uh, for the Braves. Sonia Marzano joining us next, otherwise known as Maria from Sesame Street. What's up next? Tim DeMoss Show, WFIL. Have a guest you'd like to hear on the Tim DeMoss Show on AM560 WFIL? Email D at WFIL.com. The Tim DeMoss Show on AM560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. And on the app, which you can get from our site, WFIL.com. We are glad now to bring on Sonia Manzano. Uh, a book called Coming Up Cuban, and you'll know her as Maria from Sesame Street. Maria, Sonia, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Wonderful. Congratulations on Coming Up Cuban. Well, thank you. Yeah. Share a little backstory. How long has this been in the works for you? And uh, and just give a little synopsis, if you would, too. This took me five years to write. Wow. <laughs> and and uh, 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 here's uh, the origin story of it. I was at a book party, and an American citizen told me his family had a chicken farm in Cuba in 1959. Castro comes in. They had to skedaddle out of Cuba really quickly. They left the farm. They left their belongings, and they left their family dog behind. Wow. And But, but, a few months later, the dog showed up in a boat in Miami, and the family was reunited. True story. Wow. I thought it would make a lovely little picture book about a dog finding his way home. But then when I started reading about what else went on during that time in Cuba in 1959, I fell into this rabbit warren uh, maze of information and exciting stories. So this book is told from the point of view of four children and how they were affected by Castro's taking over power. They are for different children, disparate. They are white, black, poor, rich, and very rich. Uh, the story is told from their point of view. Okay. Anna, the first one is this child of a disillusioned rebel who gets arrested after Castro takes over and meets a tragic ending, forcing her and her mother to leave. Uh, uh, Miguel is a Pedro Pan kid. There was an initiative where 14,000 unaccompanied kids came to Miami 
because the parents were afraid of them being indoctrinated. Okay. And uh, so that, those were interesting stories. And then, of course, I thought, well, what happened to the two kids who didn't leave? Right. And then that was a, a Guajira girl who's a poor peasant girl and Huang, an Afro-Cubano who lives in Miami. So, so the idea is that the social upheavals affect everybody differently. Are there four stories written, uh, you know, separately, but you keep referring back and forth to kind of juxtapose them, or do the, do the kids know each other in any way, so to speak? They they only meet at one rally. They're all together in one rally. Okay. They're but they're really pretty separate stories. Uh, so they kind of brush against each other's lives. Okay. Now, how much do people, would you say, because I'm guessing everyone has a certain limited or a lot of knowledge of Cuba and of Castro and everything around that, um, is the book written in a way that kind of educates a bit as you're going? So even if you don't know much about who Castro is, really, I mean, and, and, and or, you know, people know of him, certainly, but to the extent that they could, and Cuba, too, is that a little bit part of what's going on in, in the book, too? Yes, but very lightly. I didn't get into a lot of the historical detail I uh, because it's not a history book. It's a historical fiction. Yeah. And uh, sort of it's told, it's exciting to read about these kids in the foreground of what was going on in the background. It's sort of like on Sesame Street, people always said to me, oh, you taught me Spanish. And I said, well, I didn't really. We taught them five, ten words in Spanish. But what we did was something better. We've introduced them to a culture, and they went on their own. I'm hoping that Ana Miguel Sulema and Juan will capture the children's imagination. If they want to find out about the revolution, I mean, they could go to Wikipedia. They could find history books. There's more material out there. Yeah. But I might have uh, interested them in this. I mean, to tell a kid nowadays about what happened in 59... You might as well be talking about the dinosaur age. Yeah. Right? <laughs> my, my, my understanding is you actually did a lot of speaking at Sesame Street. Obviously, folks knew he was Maria on camera, but didn't you also uh, did a lot of writing for the show, too? It wasn't just, you know. Yes, yes. I wrote after like, I think I was on the show for like, I don't know, maybe eight years or something. And I thought that I, you know, I wanted to contribute more, but. And I knew immediately that the power lay was behind the camera and the power was in the writing. That's and that's where I wanted to go. So I learned how to write. That's really cool. Could you name one of the greatest joys you had? Up, I mean, it was 40, what, 44 years on Sesame Street. Is there a greatest joy you can think of uh, overall? I, I think my my when I was really proud of being part of the organization was in the Goodbye, Mr. Hooper episode where Will Lee beloved Mr. Hooper passed away yeah. and Dulcie Singer my mentor uh, was the producer at the time and everybody wanted to say oh let's just say he went on vacation let's just say he retired let's just replace him with another actor and she said no our whole uh, um, tenet of the show has been showing reality and death is part of it's not a man made thing yeah. it happens to everyone and she said let's explore that and they did a lot of research as to what kid, what was out there for kids about death and what they thought about it and how we could shed some light on it. And uh, I just thought it was brilliant. I wasn't a writer at the time, yeah. but I could observe them. I observed my own participation in it. And I said, oh, these people are really, are really, really something uh, clear. Yeah. Their vision is clear. You put in the book to my big-hearted daughter Gabriella, and go and go on and talks about that she's someone who 
always puts herself in like basically other people's shoes, which I love that way of thinking. Tell us a little about your daughter and, and that way of thinking and how that I mean, really feeds into the Coming Up Cuban book you've written. Well, she, she really has that sensibility. She always was, even when she was, uh, you know, she's in a, my adult child now. But uh, uh, recently, and yeah, I'm going to put myself in a, in a bad light. <laughs> recently, uh, we were together and um, a disheveled homeless person approached us. And it happened that uh, a panhandler, I thought, yeah. and I didn't, I didn't have any money with me. And before the person got a word out, I'm humiliated to say that I said, I'm sorry, I can't help you. Hmm. And my daughter stopped me and said, what, what is it? And the woman wanted to know the time. Wow. And I, that's an example of how my daughter uh, uh, is that way. She, she kind of uh, has the capacity of seeing people as really looking into their eyes and not seeing their exterior personalities. And it's something that I, I, uh, I try to learn from her. I think that's a great story. Thank you for sharing that too. And and it's, uh, yeah, no, I mean, that's very real. And I, I, I try to think that way all the time. We talk about this, this show is actually based on a, on a Bible verse, the most well-known one, John three sixteen, for God's love of the world. So I try to have guests on, obviously people know you as Maria Sesame Street in the book. It's great to have people who are well-known, but I like to have people on who aren't well-known also. Because they, they matter also, right? Everybody matters. So I, right. I resonate with what you're saying, that story. I, I greatly appreciate that. That's really cool. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. for Thank sure. You. La- last quick question for you. Just as far as coming up Cuban, uh, folks just tuning in, talking with uh, Sonia Manzano, known as Maria from Sesame Street. The book, is it most appropriate, would you say? Like, is there a, a level where maybe you start at teenager or 12 or 12 plus or or because of the subject matter? Or can, can even younger kids read it? Oh, I think younger kids could read it. And, uh, you know, those lines of uh, a YA novel and an adult novel are very blurred since Harry Potter. Yeah. I mean, she broke all those rules uh, of, you know, what's, you know, so books aren't in compartments. It's certainly, you know, I mean, anybody could read this book. There's no, there aren't any concepts that are too uh, profound uh, or, or, or deep for the very young to be bored by it. <laughs> okay, that's great. Well, you remind me of my sister. She, I always, when I grew up watching you on Sesame Street, my sister Becky, who's in her early sixties, uh, she's like a, a spit and image almost visually, and she's a very creative person, energetic, and invests in uh, the rest of us. And I always thought Maria reminds me of Becky all the time. So oh. even your laugh is you know just that you're a bright per. You know, it's that's a great thing. So thank you. It's nice Thank to you. talk to you. And uh, we'll have you again another time to talk about the newest endeavors you're doing, too. Hopefully we can get sure you down the road. Yeah. Give your sister my best. I will. God bless you. Have a great rest of your day. Bye. Bye-bye. Sonia Manzano on the Tim DeMoss Show. What a pleasure to talk to someone I watched and a lot of us watched on TV as kids and through four decades. And uh, I think it was 71 to 2015. Maria on Sesame Street. Uh, quick break. And then we have now that's punny ready to go. It's Tim DeMoss show on WFIL. It's the Tim DeMoss show podcast available at WFIL.com. Thanks for listening. It's 453 on the Tim DeMoss show time for now. That's funny. Doug Shaw. How you doing, man? How are you? Good. You know, it's, uh, it's about that time. The highlight of the week. Not that punny. 
That's it. Well, no, now that's punny. No. Not, not that punny. That would be meaning the segment's not very entertaining. And we'd honest, like, honest mistake. like to think it is. So, Doug, my wife bought me a book the other day on decision making. God bless her. I'm just not sure if I should read it or not. <laughs> you know? On the one hand, uh, I wrote a song the other day about tortillas. Really? Yeah. Well, it's actually more of a rap. <sighs> you want to hear it? I'm sure you don't. No, let's hold it for later. Speaking of cute, Doug, what does a thesaurus eat for breakfast? Mm, humans? Synonym rolls. Synonym rolls. <laughs> I was thinking of a dinosaur sort of thing. Yeah. You can tell those people to stop. It's not I that did. funny. <laughs> By the way, I'm, I'm DJing a wedding in October, and the couple I just talked to you today, and they said instead of a cake, they're going to have a giant cinnamon roll, and then nice. smaller ones. For I, I love cinnamon. So do I. Put a glaze on it. That's something mm-hmm. different, something fun. Mm-hmm. My wife says that uh, I'm perfect, Doug, except, speaking of, my armpit smell. Yeah, that is yeah. a problem. Otherwise, she says she says I'm the best man she's ever met, hands down. <laughs> That's the caveat. <laughs> Doug, why did the alphabet letter of your choice stop dating the apostrophe? I don't know, Tim, why? Because the apostrophe was too possessive. Oh. Yes. They needed to see other people. Doug, how do you make a slow horse fast? You take a stick and you whip it really... No, no, no. You stop feeding him. Oh, fast. Okay. 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 Thank you. Speaking of food, uh, I don't know if you know this about me, Doug, but I'm pretty good in the kitchen, and a lot of people want my homemade bread. But, mm-hmm. but I'm the one who needs it. Get your own bread. Don't take mine. Did you ever see it in the bag, back of a bag of ruffles? They used to have a thing where it says, get your own bag. No it's, way. It's a perfect slogan. Because it's really, when someone comes like, get your own bag. My friend, um, on a kind of a grim note, my friend was attacked by a group of mimes the other day. What they did was unspeakable. I didn't hear that. <laughs> Nice. Go ahead. Give yourself a sound effect. How about the crying Houston, one? We have a problem. Yeah. What this, what they did was unspeakable. Was the punchline? <laughs> Good boy. Good yeah. boy. Doug, uh, you know how some people name their cars? Mm, yeah. Okay. I mean, I have myself have not done that. My son did. He named, he bought a car a few years ago and he named it. Um, I named our commode. <laughs> well, and some people call theirs the John, but I named ours Jim. That way I can truthfully say I go to the gym several times a day. <laughs> I thought that was rather good. I'm flush that one right down. The oh, drain. I know. <laughs> All right, Doug, we're almost done this fine this fine segment. Um, what what does a painter do when he gets cold? Don't know. He puts on another coat. <laughs> I like that. There's a fly in the studio. Where'd that guy come from? Uh, well, you have the armpit problems. All right, two more here, Doug. Okay. Just so everyone's clear, I'm going to put my glasses on. Thank you. Thank you so much. 
And I don't know if you know this, Doug, but alligators can live up to 100 years old. I do know that. Which is why there's a decent chance they mean it when they say, see you later. <laughs> the baby made it in! My children will be thrilled. They're listening with ear one ear to their phones or radios. Really? And they love the baby. Uh, I think it's their favorite sound effect. Okay, here's the one. And on that note, that's it for now. That's Pony Doug. What you doing this weekend? Cutting the grass. Again? Yeah, I'm a homeowner. It seems to grow over and over again. Doesn't it? It's driving me nuts. Yeah, well, have fun with that. I do set the lawnmower to kill, though. Do you? Does, yeah. does it work? Mm, yeah, it kind of killed it. Okay. Well, right. My wife's not happy, but... Like all like like buzz cut level? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like worms like watch out level? Throwing dirt. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bring my glove. <laughs> All right, well, that'll do it for now. That's plenty. Have a fine weekend, Doug. You too, Tim. Victoria, you have a fine weekend as well. You too, Tim. All See right. you Monday. Bye. Have a million dollar weekend. WFIL. Thanks for listening to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. Feel free to tune in to the full show each weekday afternoon from 4 to 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.